This is the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast, built by anglers for anglers. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trockenbrook. With me, as always, is Brian Travis, and today in studio, special guest, uh, home state angler David Mullins, coming all the way from East Tennessee to join us and uh, chat for a little while. It's good to be here. I'm glad to be back in the state with the boat company. I know that <laughs> it's a lot shorter drive and love being at home. Excellent, excellent. So yeah, what you do could, I? You could have got a duck in, a duck hunt in this morning before you, you go down. And honestly, pondered it. Uh, if it wasn't raining so hard when I left, I was going to hunt till about nine o'clock and then come out here. Yeah. But it's raining too hard, so we're going to hold off and maybe go tomorrow. I'd what time good. do you normally call it quits? Uh, you know, it just depends, but I've been trying to, man, I bought a new farm I told you guys about, and uh, I'm flooding, you know, around four acres of water, and I've been trying to manage it, so I'm not hunting it very often, and I'm trying to get out of there by at least 9, 9.30, so whatever else lands in there, you know, gets to rest the rest of the day, so it's kind of hard sometimes when you go back in the evening, and you got a bunch of mallards that you could have been killing all day, but I'm trying to look at it long term and trying to see build. The, see the growth plan on yeah, it. Yeah, and trying to build it up, so uh, yeah, usually 9, 9.30, and you know, East Tennessee, we don't get a lot of ducks, but uh, the ones we kill usually are early. I mean, you, there's been many times, like, you don't see a bird after 8 o'clock. You know, mm-hmm. it's nothing like you go to Arkansas or out there. Our flights are – the good thing is they're always new ducks. When you see ducks in East Tennessee, they're they're new ducks, and they're not decoy shy. You know, they usually work really good. But in, in that being said, there's not many of them. So. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad to hear you say that. We've had an internal argument for a while now. Some other people around here that don't hunt around here as much or didn't grow up hunting around here, like, oh, we need to stick around another hour or two. No, it's done. It's time to go. When it's time for breakfast, it's about time to just go ahead and pack it up. Yeah, and the only times that I've learned, and I've learned this over the years, that, you know, ducks are amazing. You know, their key is, they're, you know, every day they wake up, and I talked to Bowman about this, Steve Bowman from Bass, you know, that when they wake up in the morning, their only, their only goal is survival, and that's 360, you know, five a, a year, so, or, you know, every day. So, uh you know, when we get ducks, it's funny because I know Rusty Creasy out there in the Coke Woods, and he invites me to come out each year and hunt, and that's one of the most prestigious places to kill ducks in timber. And, you know, they'll kill, you know, 1,300, 2,000 ducks a year, and sometimes more, sometimes less, but they're always killing a lot of ducks. And the, and the ratio for bands that they kill, we kill a lot more bands than what they kill. Yeah. So if I kill 50 birds, I'm going to have a band, mm-hmm. maybe two bands. They'll kill 1,500 and maybe have one, you know, so – it's always the birds we kill are always new birds and they're always migrating. And over the years, I learned that most of our birds in East Tennessee, I don't know about here in the central state, but most of ours in East Tennessee come off the Great Lakes. So if you look back at all the bands I've shot, most of them come out of Michigan or above the Great Lakes in, in Ontario and up that way in Pennsylvania, Erie, those places. And that's, it seems to be like most of the birds we get come straight, it's straight north, straight south off the Great Lakes. How many bands a year do you think you kill? Uh, dude, for for a long time, I averaged one one a year, you know. And and again, we don't shoot we don't shoot thousand birds up there. Mm-hmm. But the last few years, it's been so slow. And then I come th- I come this year and I, I hunt. I got a little island on the river. I hunted on the twentieth of December and I shoot a band that was banded on the uh, Lake Michigan. It was banded on the east side of Lake Michigan in uh, like September. And I hunted the next day at the farm I bought. Shot a band there. Uh, that it was hunted, it was banded on the west side of Lake Michigan like two months later. Hmm. So, uh, you know, it just goes to prove again we get uh, whatever birds we get is coming off the Great Lakes, but uh, I don't know a number or how many we shoot. It's not nothing compared to like out, you know, 
out in West Tennessee or Arkansas or whatever. Y'all get any black ducks? We get a lot of black ducks, actually. Yeah. yeah, we get a lot of black ducks, and that's one thing, you know, they, they treasure out there. And I'm like, we, we see black ducks about every time we hunt at home, <laughs> you know. We, we only have seen them, what, probably once in the last two years? No, we, I, I guess saw maybe. some uh, a couple weeks ago. I rode around woods, and there's about six hanging out with a bunch of mallards, and they were about 20 yards off the side of the road, but I let them <laughs> swim away there. And I'll tell you a funny story. Like, again, I've been managing this place, and the guy who helped me do my dirt work is a guy named Chad Baker. And Chad Baker won the open on Potomac River back in, I don't know, 2098, 2002, somewhere in there. So he's a good fisherman, but he's an outdoorsman. He was on the. He was on the state uh, with the with the whole deer management. He was he was working with the state with that stuff when they got their numbers and they finally got it down to two buck limit. But anyway, Chad did my dirt work, did my levees on my place up there, and he's got some kids and he wanted to bring his kid and uh, uh, and one of his friends. So they're both like ten year old, and it would have been if it had been adults in there, you know, it would have been the most smashed day of the year. And uh, we had ducks fluttering all over us, you know, and we're trying to let them shoot. And I don't know their capabilities, so I'm letting Chad <laughs> call it, and I'm sitting there drooling, you know, because we got 15 fluttering right in our face, and we're waiting on them to try to hit the water so they can get them a little bit better. But one of the birds that landed 10 feet in front of the front of the blind was a black duck, you know. Mm. And, of course, they missed it, you know. Oh, yeah. And they didn't know what the treasure was, and then they shoot a redhead. And it took me years to shoot a redhead. Yeah. So they, they had a great morning, though. That's all right. I whiffed pretty bad on some black ducks a couple years ago. It was, <laughs> they, it was bad. But yeah. I'd say one of the things Tennessee's done, and since I remember it started when I was probably 14, was that juvenile season at the end. That's one of the best things they've done to try and get kids in the sport. I mean, really, anymore, that's that's when we get most of our ducks. That's exactly you know, right. Uh, a lot of our weather's late anymore, and that's when uh, – it's when they're migrating through, and they've they've I've I've had some had some buddies that got kids, and they uh, they've smashed them in that late season. Mm-hmm. Now, do you uh, have a dog you run? I have a dog. I've got a dog named Jake. He he'll be two in February, and I trained him myself, and he's done really well for me, not knowing more than I do, you know. So he he's a good dog and good companion. Yeah, I I just trained one. I guess it was two years ago yep. when I got Molly, maybe three. Was that tough for you? I mean, did you do a lot of research and book work, or did you know someone who kind of showed you the ropes of it? I did a little bit of research. Most of it, I just kind of did my own. Uh, I had maybe a buddy give me a tip here and there, but, man, I, I tell you, for a chocolate, you know, chocolate, chocolates are either psycho or, you know, or the dumb, one of the two. They're yeah. either really intense or really not smart, but he's kind of in the middle. He's got a real good drive, and uh, um, he he took to it real well. I mean, by six, seven months old, he was already doing hand signals. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not a good trainer, you know. I'm just saying he just got it really well. And by seven months old, you know, we were goose hunting. He was getting geese. And it was funny. I talked about that early in the year. The first time he was goose hunting, he was seven months old. And then late season, he was nine months old. And when he first seen a goose, you know, he's he's only 40, 50 pounds, you know, whatever. And he was real hesitant to get it. I mean, he would go over there and bite the wing and pull it and pull it. Mm-hmm. And he, he finally, even though he's seven months old, he'd finally get in his mouth and get it where he could. But it was funny that year – uh, fast forward a whole year this year in the early season, man, it was like the first goose we knocked down, he goes out there and he's like, you know, I hadn't seen this in a year and he's kind of messing with it, grabs it, brings it back. But by, by the time the second one come in, he was out there tackling it, bring it back. But so it's funny <laughs> how his confidence level, you know, you it's see changed. You dogs for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's funny how his confidence level has changed in just a year. But he's a he's a great dog. He's a both – he's an inside and outside dog. So he's not just a hunting dog. He's a, he's a companion at the house too. Mm-hmm. I remember Molly's first big duck pickup was a my first canvas back, and I, she was unsure about it. And those things, I don't know what you need to knock them down. I mean, some kind of tungsten, but 
She uh, that thing got a hold of her collar and was biting her for about a hundred yard swim. She never let him go, but that was our first can, and she, I don't think she's picked one up since. That's no. awesome. No. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your backstory. I know you uh, you went to school and uh, you actually were a teacher for a little while. Yeah, I was a high school teacher for what? a year before I qualified to to fish the elite. What subject? Taught uh, econ, finance, uh, computers, uh, accounting, just all, mostly business courses. I graduated with at East Tennessee State with a marketing degree, and then uh, you know East Tennessee, there's not we don't have a lot of the business and stuff where you can get do a lot with marketing degree. So I was working at a uh, military facility up there doing security, and decided I wanted to go back and do my do my teaching degree. And I one of my partners that I fished local tournaments with was Charlie Rash, and he was probably the biggest hammer to ever come out of East Tennessee that probably nobody's heard of, but he was a stud fisherman still good fisherman but he moved away and uh he was a high school teacher and man he was like the best structure fisherman ever up there mm-hmm. and the reason was he's off all summer you know so <laughs> i was i was like you know what i'm gonna be a teacher too and i want to be all you know i want to be off all summer and have winters off where i could duck hunt and and so i went back to lincoln memorial and got my uh partial masters and got my teaching certificate there and, and taught one year and and luckily the the principal who hired me was at a form the school i graduated high school from and um you know the interview process was pretty much all fishing and hunting and i told him i said you know what i've already scheduled these dates to fish these bass opens because previously aaron martin's had encouraged me to to go out and fish the opens and because he'd come up fishing with me at douglas at one time and he's like man you could do it for a living if you wanted to and the schedule got released for those opens, so I scheduled uh, I scheduled those dates. I think it was uh, Toho, uh, Douglas Lake, which is at my home, and then Logan Martin. So Aaron said, you know, you can you can travel with me and stay, and we'll fish them. So I said, okay. So I scheduled these dates already. Then I get hired to teach high school, and I'm like, you know what? I've already got these, and, you know, he was so cool about it because he's like, don't worry about it. We'll make it work. <laughs> so I got off, you know, those weeks for – to go out there and, and fish the opens in the first year I did it, I qualified for it. So I took the chance of not going back and teaching and took a chance on fishing. So I've been doing it now for, I don't know, six years, I think. So You think those kids were like, man, we were rough on them. He just quit after the first year. <laughs> no, I had, some, I had some good kids. Luckily, I had a, I had a good, you know, uh, uh, functional class where, you know, it, it helps, you know, teaching finance, that's stuff you use every day, whether it be writing a check, which I just did. <laughs> a very large check or, or uh you know just banking information or anything so i had i, I liked the classes i taught you know there there was stuff that the kids were always going to use and we didn't have like end end of course uh tests where you had to pass to get out of the course you know so it was it was a laid back course but it was functional too as far as they're going to use it forever so I, I liked it and then i coached basketball for for several years and you know i missed the missed the people and the kids but i'm happy to be doing what i'm doing did you play basketball growing up? I did. I played till high school, and that was it. And I was a mediocre player, you know. I I didn't I didn't hit my athleticism until I was like twenty three. So it was like I was a late bloomer, and then once I hit twenty three, I could like do anything, you know. <laughs> and it's it's weird how that works out, but but uh, yeah, I played basketball. I actually played golf. To, I played golf in college a year. Went to Milligan College, and it's a private school in East Tennessee. Played golf a year, and then transferred to. Northeast State, got my credits, uh, got the rest of my credits done, and then finished it up at East Tennessee State. So I've pretty much visited every college East Tennessee has to offer. <laughs> You've <laughs> East, done the whole tour. Yeah, east of Knoxville. I was going to say, Roan State's the only thing left. <laughs> That's it. Now, what about that first year making that jump? How'd that, uh, 
How did that feel? How did you make that decision? Know you were ready? I, I didn't know I was ready. You know, I'd, I'd fished one year on the opens and qualified. So, I, I mean, you're talking about a guy. I mean, we come up as blue-collared as can be, and we didn't have excess. I fished out of a 186 Triton for like 13 years. And I remember um, I'd won a Ranger, won a Ranger boat, and it was a 19-footer with a 200 on it. Big timing. Yeah, I mean, I, I was like, man, I got a 200 on this sucker. I can mm. actually run somewhere. <laughs> and I remember I qualified. And this is how, this is how like, a balanced, you know, everything is and how long the edge you are stuff. But I actually fished out of that Ranger and qualified uh, to fish the Elites and then sold that boat for my entry fees. So wow. that that's how that worked out. So I didn't know I was ever qualified. Um you know, it was like the only thing I knew was at home. And I remember that first – just you, the little things people don't understand about orga, being organized. Like, heck, I didn't know nothing about being organized and tackle. I'd just throw some boxes in there and we'd go fishing. But, like, you don't know – you know, time is precious when you're on the tour and when you're out there practicing and when you're fishing a tournament. And you don't realize that I, – I didn't realize that, like, going into it and how much you have to be prepared and, and you have to be ready mentally and have your tackle ready and – it was something I, w- I just kind of got thrown in the fire. I felt like I was I was grabbing on a train that was already going, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember my <laughs> my first tournament, I finished like 104th at Seminole out of like how many was there in that year, 110 maybe. And I'm like, good gosh. And I remember the next tournament, we were at <clears throat> St. John's, and I forgot to put gas in my boat for the first day of practice. So, But it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to slow down and fish. So, I, you know, I get out there with that one canal, and it opens up in Georgia, and I run across, and I look, and I've got like an eighth of a tank of gas. And I was like, oh, my gosh, forgot to get gas. But what it is, and it's the good thing in Florida, is you, it makes you fish and slow down. And if it wasn't for that, I probably – and I got it. wasn't for that, I wouldn't have got a check because, you know, I just fished that whole day and fished that whole day and finally found some fish. And I got a check there, and from there I think I ran off six checks that year. My, first year my rookie year it was either five or six and missed maybe missed one by like one place i think i uh justin lucas i can still remember that knocked me out at cayuga the first time i was there and they paid 50 and i finished 51st there and um so it was i mean it, it, you know i it, that's a blessed it, first year yeah it really is i mean i started off terrible as worse as you can finish and then ended up running all those off so it was a uh, I didn't know at first, you know, after that 104 finish, you're like, you don't know what to do. I'm like, yes, this is so much different. And I just watched Van Dam crack 20 pounds on Seminole, and you're like, geez, is this for me? And then, you know, got the ball rolling, and and it worked out. So I've been doing it ever since. Do you remember who you finished ahead of? I think Randy Howe. <laughs> Randy Howe, and he's just coming off the classic win. Wow. So wait, go. let's go back to the start. How did you start fishing? Who Was there somebody that took you fishing? What lakes did you grow up fishing? I obviously grew up fishing Cherokee and Douglas. And, you know, I fished Boone Lake. We used to go fish Boone Lake. At, it's, it's in gray. It's probably the closest lake to my house, but it's not, you know, it's got fish in it. It's in drawdown right now, but uh, we used to fish it a heck of a lot. But, you know, my dad couldn't catch a fish in a stock barrel, so he, he would do bluegill fishing and stuff like that. And for some reason, I always wanted to catch bass. And I don't, I don't know why. I can't remember back that far why, why I wanted to catch bass. But I remember, you know, pond hopping in high school really, really hard. And I I don't even know where I learned to even throw a baitcaster. No one taught me, you know, and it, no one taught me a lot of that stuff. And I remember when I was about 15 years old, Dad worked at a uh, um, 
he worked at a, uh, a press. They made papers and books and stuff like that and swing shift, obviously. And there was a guy there that, that used to fish bass a lot. And he was always, you know, around the plant there, you know, they would talk about how good Ted was at bass fishing. But all he did was fish at night, never did fish in the daytime. So he would start in March fishing at night, and he would finish it out in, like, November. So on day, you know, the only times he had off was December and January because it was too cold in February. So I got hooked up with Ted. Dad got arranged a trip with Ted, and all he did was throw, like, plastics, Texas Reef plastics, and that's it. And I just – we I, I fished with him for several years just fishing at night, and I was probably, you know, 14, 15 years old. And when I turned – when I turned, let's see, 18, uh, 17, I started fishing little rodeos. And they'd be like evening, nighttime rodeos. Mm-hmm. And then when I turned uh, eight, uh, let's see, 19, I just graduated high school, I fished a club tournament. And when I was 18, mom, we had an old 78 bass tracker. And I won't forget it. And I saved up some lawnmower money. And mom, it wasn't been for dad because dad was old school. Dad didn't believe in like having fun going fishing, blah, blah, blah. Still <laughs> like that today. He said, I need to be teaching. <laughs> so, uh, mom, I remember I, she was a big, if it wasn't my mom, I wouldn't be here today. And we went and she, we got a brand new 18 foot boat. And we, I fished out of that thing. That's the same one I was telling you about. I fished out of that thing for 13 years. And I remember fishing a club tournament. I, I, I joined like a local club and that one that when I was right out of high school, 18, 19 year old. And I learned very, and then, you know, those are in the daytime. Well, I've just fished nighttime for the last five years. And I learned it's way different in the daytime than it is in <laughs> nighttime. Those suckers don't bite in the daytime like they do at nighttime. But I remember I fished a club tournament that was um, that was uh, a team deal. But I fished it by myself because I didn't have time. I didn't know a lot of people, you know, the fish. So I, I, I fished it by myself and won angle of the year the first year in that club. I grant you it probably didn't have the best of competition, but it still had like 25 boats in it. And I won an angler year fishing by myself against those guys. And then uh, after that, I just, you know, I joined some BFLs and just started learning. And when I turned about 20, 21, I guess, is when I got hooked up with Charlie Rash. And I, that's that's when, like, at just one day with him, my mind just exploded about stuff. And for some reason, I'd always been, like, I always loved catching fish offshore and loved catching them deep. And I don't know where that came from. I don't know. It just something about it always mesmerized me back. And I, you know, and I that's when I started reading about Fritz, you know, back in the day. And he's always been my hero and always will. But when I learned when I went started fishing with Charlie, it was like, duh. <laughs> it was like, don't even throw, just get the net. Because it once it started, you know, we fished those summer tournaments and I'd just net all day. You know, it'd be so lame, but I'd be whatever. I was the cold boy for eight hours a day, but it was uh just what I learned from him in just the short amount of time we fished, we, I, I don't know how long we fished together, probably six years or maybe something like that, but uh, I learned a tremendous amount from him, and I wouldn't be here without him and his knowledge. But that being said, like, I think I fin- uh, me and my friend Brent, I th- Brent Hoskins, fished one year, and I think we won Angler of the Year in this, in this one particular trail that was just full of studs in East Tennessee. It was the, more, it was the Miner's Marine Trail. And we won, I think, Angler of the Year in that deal. If I if I'm not mistaken, I can't anymore. I can't remember back that far. But man, the best thing ever happened to me was fishing with Charlie. And the second best thing that happened to me was not fishing with Charlie anymore. And then when Charlie moved, like it was like 
I got to do the things that I thought in my head we needed to do during the day instead of doing what he wanted to do. Even though, you know, Charlie's pretty hard headed, and that's the thing about Charlie. He would he would either he would either win or not finish. You know, very good. Mm-hmm. You know, as one of them deals. And I I would see things throughout the day. I thought we could do better. And when we stopped fishing together, that's when I started blending my style with what his style was, and that's when everything started clicking. And I remember. I got back with me and Brent, started fishing those local stuff together, and I think we won three Angler of the Years in those deals, which was never never done, and I don't think anybody's done since. And and then we won at the same the same time. We won another Angler Year in another trail at the same time. They were going on simultaneously, and then we won that Classic where I won that boat, and that's where it got it kick-started. So without a doubt, you know, Charlie Rash was the probably biggest influence on my life and my fishing career. Interesting. So it was nice to get him out of the boat just so he didn't have to net anymore, though, too. Right? Yeah, but he's such a good guy. And he, like I said, he was a high school teacher, one of the most patient people I've ever met. But, uh, man, when he started getting on a roll, you just, that's all you could do. You was just going to net. So you must have been all right in school because your, your old high school principal let you come back and get a job. You had another high school teacher teaching you how to fish. You must have been a pretty good kid. Actually, uh, the the guy that hired me, Jim Dykes, is the one who hired me. He was not my high school principal. Okay. But he got hired in after me, and, and we all knew the same people. I knew his, uh, uh, his, uh, his uh, sister-in-law was one of my elementary school teachers, and his whole family, his, his dad was my – elementary school uh principal so his whole family was netted in in the whole school system up there and and he already knew who i was and i knew who he was even though we'd never really met but it, it like i said it was like the best interview ever and he was a great guy to work for do you ever meet uh david wright they call him smiley dude i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you the story about david wright <clears throat> and i'd heard about david wright and i'm like 18 or 19 years old fishing uh, fishing the bfls and uh, again, I don't know a lot, but mm-hmm. I, I love throwing a crankbait even then. And we were supposed to have a regional. I think the first year that I fished and made the regional, of course, if you can just catch a bass, usually you can make it a regional to be a fail. And we, we're fishing, um, we're supposed to be on Kerr Lake. Mm-hmm. And Kerr Lake was on a drawdown. So we had to go to Gaston. And I remember, uh, and again, I, I don't know what the timeline is. It was like maybe 03, I'm, I'm thinking. So I'm over at Gaston, not catching much. And again, back then, I really don't know what I'm doing. I know ways that I can catch fish that I'm pretty good at, but I don't know overall what the heck I'm doing. So I go cranking in this creek with like a deep little end. I'm going down this bank, and I get to this point, and I catch like two in a row bass off of it, and they're like two-pounders. I'm like, okay, maybe there's some on this point. And as I, I throw, I, I move just a little bit, maybe five yards, and I throw, and I catch a white bass. I wasn't paying attention again. I'm young. I don't know what's going on. And I'm releasing this white bass, and I look over my shoulder, and then the opposite side of this creek, this creek's not very big. It's probably 500 yards wide. Looking, there's a guy in a ranger sitting down cranking over there. I'm like, sitting down cranking, okay. So I ease around through there, and I come out, and he's still there. I just stop and talk to him, and it was David Wright. Mm-hmm. And David Wright ended up finishing second in that tournament. But anyway, I'm at, I'm at the first after the first day in that regional, I'm in like fifth and I'd started on that spot that I caught those two in a row. And I caught like 15 in a row that, that first morning. And ran around, caught some other ones. And, again, I'm in like the top ten. And David Wright's in the top ten. And I talked to him at the weigh-in, blah, blah, blah. We didn't – we just, you know, exchanged haze, whatever. And he probably don't even – I know he don't remember this. But anyway, so the second day 
I pull up on that spot and I catch like 10 in a row, but they're like two of them's keepers and the rest of them's non-keepers. And I'm like, daggone. So after this, I really have nothing else to go to. I don't, I don't know what else to do. So I'm running around. I probably weigh in like three fish that day or something. And I drop out of the top 10. I think I finished tied for 12. And David Wright's in like third. So in the bag line, I'm like, David, I was like, do you know the place? Because we talked. I said, you know the place you saw me sitting on? That you saw? And he, he had mentioned something. He said, you catching them over there? And I just said, yeah, catching some white bass. That's what in practice, you know. <laughs> yeah, catching some white bass. I said, you know the place you saw me catch some in practice over there? He said, yeah. And I was like, you might want to hit that first thing in the morning because the first morning I caught like 15, the second morning I caught 10. And he said, that's a good thing because he said, I'll try it because he said, I'm not catching anything till late. So he gave me his number. I called him up after the tournament was over, and he had caught like a five and a two off that place is what he told me, if I remember right. Like I said, it's been so many years ago, and he ended up finishing second that tournament to Tony Christian who ended up later getting banned from VFLs for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But that, that's my David Wright story, and uh, it, that's somebody I always wanted to share a boat with just because it's in that whole lore of, you know, Fritz and Coble and David and all of them. So, oh, it's yeah. Carolina Mafia. Yeah. Crankbait so, Mafia over So there. David's one I always wanted to fish with. Well, he was a high school teacher too, so right. that's why I think there's a parallel there that kids get your degree and be a high school teacher. And you can make it to the elites. Or... You'll be a good structured fisherman because you'll <laughs> be off right. in the summer. You'll probably be a duck hunter too. Yeah. No, David Wright, that that guy's awesome. Uh, he's a uh, – and, man, he's got so many old plugs and stories oh, about I plugs. I mean, it's – he's old school, but mm -hmm. he, he's cool. I have never fished with him, uh, just ridden around with him once or twice, and he's a, he's a cool dude. And still catches him. Oh, still whacks him. Mm -hmm. Samuel uh, Thomas is another friend of Coble and David's, and he and uh, David will go fish Pickwick and – Man, I'm just envious of that that knowledge that David's probably sharing with him. Oh yeah. So how did we get? Uh, how did Aaron Martin's tie into this? You brought him up a couple of times. Uh, Dude, how'd y'all get hooked up? Aaron's been one of my great friends for a long time, and uh, I remember it was ninety, no, two thousand, two thousand. Getting ready to graduate high school, they announced that the Bassmaster Mega Bucks is coming to Douglas, and you know it's they're coming there, and I'm thinking it they get there in May, so they get. I can't remember what the off-limits was back then, maybe two weeks off-limits or whatever. So I'm night fishing at Douglas in April. And we fished all night, and it's breaking daylight, so we're putting it on the trailer. And we had caught the heck out of them that night. And I remember I'm pulling this bass tracker up the ramp, and I stop it, and I'm latching everything down, and all of a sudden I hear this blaring techno music. <laughs> and this big purple crown roll boat and truck backing down the ramp and and you remember i told you earlier about like how how things are such on a fine line you mm -hmm. know in life that one way or another you know can take your life different directions if i don't do if it if i don't meet aaron i don't probably do what i'm doing today anyway and he backs out he backs that truck down beside mine and i'm loading stuff up and here you know he hops out techno music blaring shuts the door you know what's up bro y'all catch him and, you know, back then, we used to keep everything. We'd keep everything and eat them. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had, a bat, we had a live well full of bass. And I'm like, yeah, we caught blah, 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 blah. And, you know, Aaron's freaking out that we're keeping them. And uh, he's like, bro, you got to put them back, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so we talked. And I said, yeah, we caught a bunch. And uh, he's ended up asking about it. And I said, I'll tell you what, if you want to go tomorrow, I said, I I'll take you around. We'll sh show you some deal. And so... 
I get to go fishing Aaron Martin's next day. That's the kind of guy he was, mm-hmm. man. He just he just loved fishing, loved to take people fishing. He didn't have to take me. But somehow we got hooked up together, and uh, we went the next day and caught the heck out of him, too, and showed him some deals. And I don't know how you – I don't think he finished very good in the tournament. But uh, if that don't happen, like I said, I probably don't do – I probably don't do what I am today because after that, me and him continued to be friends – he invited me to his house when he fished the classic at Lay and finished second. And I was down there watching that, and I got the whole experience backstage and how it went down. And then when he was fishing the FLW, I went and tra- I went and practiced with him at Old Hickory, and you know I'd always stayed in contact with him. So you know, fast forward years, we still stayed in contact. Fast forward years, so the Elite Series comes to Douglas, and I can't remember ten, twelve, whatever it was. And we just won like Angler of the Year before that. We just won the Classic that year, then the local local trail. So by this time, I'm kind of established that I can catch them, you know, at home pretty good. And I called Aaron up and I said, "You fishing next year?" And blah blah blah. He said, "Yes." I said, "You need to get up here." I said, "Just want a boat." Blah blah blah. I'll show you some juice. And you know, I don't know. A lot of guys don't get much. Aaron's not. I don't think Aaron's one of them guys that gets a lot of help. You know, he usually does his own thing. But he came up there one time in October, right at maybe October, November. And I mean, it was like one of the most, the best days I've had on Douglas. We probably had close to 30 pounds that day. And then he came up again in April and we caught the heck out of him. And that's when he told me, he said, man, if you ever wanted to do it for a living, you could. He said, I know who I fish against and you're a lot better than some of them. That's when that schedule got released at the Bass Opens. And, you know, he said I could travel with him and, and the rest is history from there. I mean, and I had a rough go at it. I, uh, I stayed with Aaron for like the first first two years, and then he got a small, smaller camper where we really couldn't fit any, and I slept in my truck for like two years. Mm. I mean, every term in the back of that truck, and, you know, it's just a lot of people don't understand what you go through. But, I mean, I, I was at the bare minimum. I remember when we went to Sacramento and, and – um, Havasu that one year uh when I left Sacramento I had a terrible tournament there just didn't understand the place I think I had a thousand dollars of my name to get home on and if I wouldn't have got a check at Havasu I don't think I'd still be here today but luckily I got a check very blessed to get a check at that tournament had a good tournament and been rolling ever since then it just got better so you know I had it rough and I remember sleeping in the truck at the service yard for the Havasu tournament just mm-hmm. to save money I mean that I did that for two or three years, and and now luckily I can I can share. I rent a house, you know, so mm-hmm. that's how it works out. But uh, blessed to be here. Who are you traveling with this year? Uh, me and Drew Benton, and we we have added Drew the Tooth Cook, so he he stays with us as well now. He stayed with us last year, and you know those are two good guys and two people I trust, and uh, that seems to be the way to go. Now we talked to Drew when he was here, and he said uh, you guys are pretty rough on on Littler Drew. Yeah, he deserves it. Well, Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he got a uh, rookie of the year. He did, and he's a great fisherman, you know. And I, I'm actually impressed with Cook how poised he is as being that young angler because I, I, you know, I wasn't I wasn't like that when I was that young, you know. But he's very rounded and very mature as as a young angler as he is, and he's a uh, he'll be he'll continue to get better. Now, who does all the housebooking? Uh, I leave that to them. I, I you just, just show up. I just show up. <laughs> the, a little, Full and seniority. A little is work as I can do, but I have booked. Uh, uh, 
I, I did. I've, if I've got connections in a place, I'll book the place. But I think this year I've got two or three places we can stay at. So I, I do. I do my fair share sometimes. Mm-hmm. Now, who's the cook? Uh, the cook. You know, Benton cooks a lot. He does. One of the best things we did was last year at Ten Killer. It was dove season at home, so we sacked up a bunch of doves and then took them out there and ate them for a couple <laughs> of days, and that was the best thing we'd had to eat in a while. But yeah, Benton Benton does Benton does some cooking. I'll cook occasionally. Cook, you know, we all share it, but I would say Benton does most of it. You, you got any specialties? No, no, <laughs> just hamburger helper. Whatever it takes. On the, on the road, you don't care. Who who's the last one to get in from uh, a night at practice? It varies, man. We all we all grind uh, a lot. Um, I don't I don't know who would be the last one, but there's times I you know each one of us do something different. So it, it but we all we all put our time in. Yeah. When you were out traveling with Aaron, when you were running that the opens, did were you having to stay up till four in the morning with him working on? Man, it's incredible. Uh, and people don't understand. And I, I tell those stories all the time. I mean, there was one one tournament. And I can't remember where we were at. And they were biting a chatterbait, and it, it's literally uh, ten o'clock probably. And Aaron is looking. I, I'm done tackle. He would always be amazed that I would be done with tackle at like ten o'clock. And he said, "Brother, there's no way you could be done." I said, "Dude, I'm done. I got everything retied. Everything's sharp and good to go." And I'm looking, and he is. He I look through the windows of the camper, and he's out there looking at a chatterbait blade, and he's got it up in his face with his fingers like this right here, and it, he's just kind of moving them back and forth. And this is no lie. I looked out there, I, I want to say 30 minutes later, and he's still got the same chatterbait blade <laughs> in his hands looking at it. You tell people that, they're like, no, wait, I'm, I'm telling you. It was that long. And he is so meticulous on things. I mean, just like even skirts, making sure skirts are all trimmed just perfect. And uh, he was the, by far the most uh, critiqued on, on tackle that I've ever seen and. Uh, that's probably what makes him good. But he he worked on tackle when 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 he says he didn't get to bed till two o'clock in the morning. He's telling you the truth because he works on tackle more than anybody I've ever seen. Well, he told us one time what two hundred hours. Yeah, he spent about two hundred hours to prep tackle. Now, and he's probably got it down to the minute. Oh, I guarantee it. More than likely, does he's a very detailed person, but man, he puts his time in on tackle. Yeah. Have you ever tried to borrow a scrounger from him? Actually, yeah, he's given me scrounger. Uh, Did scrounger. he give you good bills? Well, when I borrowed them, it was when all they made was good bills, and I haven't borrowed any since. So those are all dry rotted now and pretty much done, but uh, I haven't asked for any since. I've heard a similar chatterbait story. He would uh, go through all the bills on a uh, scrounger, and he would literally start with 100 and end up with four that he liked. Mm, I don't doubt And then that he had bit. like 10 that were okay for practice or if someone needed one, and then the rest he was just, I'm, I don't need them. Kind of like old pose plugs back in the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See which one ran and throw the rest away. Yep. So is there anything – do you have anything like that? Do you have a, a hang up on something to where you're going to make sure it's meticulously done? You know, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't think so. I'm pretty, uh, everybody's so different. I'm pretty laid back in my tackle as far as I don't care if one, two strands of the skirts longer than the rest of it. You know, I don't think that makes a difference where some people's like freaking out about it. So no, just as long as my crankbaits run pretty straight, I'm okay. Yeah. Now you, uh, re-spool every night? Yes, most of the time I do, especially especially cranking because if you're deep cranking, that line gets stretched so much people don't you don't realize how much it gets stretched out on fluorocarbon because that's all used ninety percent of the time is fluorocarbon, and when that line's getting you know that much impact against it all day long, just stretch and strain. You know, if I'm cranking hard by 
by noon of the day I'm cranking, if I'm cranking all day, I can already start hearing it come through the guides and that line breaking down. So I will change lines every day if it's, uh, if it's something to do with the crankbait. If it's bigger line, like 18 or 20, a lot of times I might change it every two days. It just mm-hmm. depends on what I've been through that day and how much you know cover I've hit with it. But, yeah, it just depends on the line size and what I'm doing with it. Now, tell us the, uh, your deep crank setup. What do you like? Um, for line size, most of the time 12-pound. I use 12-pound sniper sunline, and it's fairly limp. And uh, I use a slower reel. I, I've always been a slow reel guy. I can't I can't crank a plug on a six one or better. It's got to be like a five one or five five, just because I think uh, with deeper plugs you you start torquing against yourself when you start getting up there. And people talking about you know they want something faster, make them react. If I can't reel a five five fast enough to make it react, I, you know I can reel it fast. I can reel it fast as you can a six four just about you know and burning it so. I like a slower reel, but it just don't it doesn't torque you as bad when you're throwing it all day long. A five a five ratio reel doesn't torque you as bad as a six or seven, so it don't hurt your elbows as bad. Then I like a like I said a slower reel, twelve pound line mostly, depending on what depth I'm cranking. But ninety percent of the time I'm probably throwing twelve pound and a longer rod as I can get away with. And I've been working with Doomsday to try to get a custom cranking stick that. That's the thing about it. I've used a lot of crankbaits, crankbait rods, and I don't know if anybody has the one crankbait rod for a big crankbait plug yet. So I've been working with them trying to get like an eight foot four, you know, telescopic kind of like to to uh, to get deep for deeper plugs. What do you throw right now though? Are you eight footer, seven tens? Throw us, yeah, throw an eight footer. It's a custom rod. A buddy of mine builds at the house, and then everything else I throw are doomsday rods like a. Lanier, anything like those DT sixes, I was catching them at Lanier up at uh, up at Cayuga was a was a doomsday rod. Now you uh, glass graphite composite C- composite composite graphite usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I remember using the old Fritz rods back in the day with all fiberglass, and you'd be throwing an old twenty two because that's all you had to run fifteen foot or more. And you'd be looking out there and be like, "Yeah, look at that three pounder out there jumping." And he jump again. He goes, "That thing's got a plug in his mouth." Then after about the third jump, you realize he's on your lure. So I don't use fiberglass rods very much, but it seems like when they do get it on fiberglass, they get it. You oh, know? they do. You just but, don't know it for a while. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but I, I've, I'm leaning more toward like a little stiffer action rods than what I used to use. And a lot of the hook sizes are getting bigger anymore, and it, it takes a little bit more to penetrate them. So I've been. I've been using a lot more heavier rods. Yeah. So what events are you looking forward to coming up this year? Yeah, I mean, I, anymore, I, honestly, I don't really get excited about an event like I used to. It used to be like I'd look forward to this one and then I'd do bad, and the ones I didn't look forward to I'd look, I'd be, do good in. So I don't really look at them all the same. I guess if I, if I had one to pick, I wish Lake Fork was, was would be bigger, like mm-hmm. for more boats, you know, but it's a pretty small place, but – you know, they're obviously probably going to be offshore there, so I, I love offshore fishing. So I'm looking forward to fishing that event. But, again, the, the, the how small that, that place is kind of kind of doesn't, you know, turn you mm-hmm. on as much because it's going to get crowded. But, uh, yeah, I look forward to going back to Fort because I need a little redemption there anyway because I could have had a good tournament there last year, and that second day I made some wrong decisions and didn't catch them as good and missed a cut, so I owe that place a little bit. Now, you said you don't really get excited much anymore, but what about going from an open fishing three events? Had you done much traveling up north or out west, or had you really stayed in the southeast? The, the only time I'd ever traveled in my life, other than fishing some regional BFLs, was 
was fishing just local Cherokee and Douglas tournaments and, you know, occasionally watch Bar Loudon and Boone and South Host and those lakes, but I'd never been out of the state, you know, really, other than fishing that one regional at uh, where I met Smiley at up there at uh, Gaston yes, and yeah. I fished one regional at Wheeler Lake a few years after that. So I'd never been out, you know, out of, out of, out of, out of home as far as fishing. So, you know, I go to Seminole and there's offshore grass. I don't know anything about grass. And, uh, you know, you go to these other places, Tidal. I never fished Tidal before. I know mm-hmm. nothing about Tidal. And so it was a wake-up call. And, and, you know, I look back at it, and I was really blessed to get that many checks my r- rookie year. And I remember I had a sophomore slump that everybody talks about, and it was so tough that year. And we went to some different places, went to some Tidal, and I struggled. But, you know, the 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 more mature I get in my fishing career and the older I get, I, you know, I've learned a lot more. And it seems like each year I get a little better and, you know, things clicked a lot better this year. I had three top tens, and hopefully the next year we'll continue to get there. It's like it took me a while to get comfortable in what I'm doing, and it's finally starting to – seems like it's starting to get more comfortable. Mm-hmm. You had talked a minute ago about um, some decisions you made, you know, turn a tournament you felt like was going to be a good one into maybe not so great finish. You know, obviously during the day while you're on the water, you can make decisions that are going to make or break of the tournament for you. Mm-hmm. What do you do with those? Do you just file those decisions away and and look back on them in the future? And what do you use that information for? Yeah, I mean, that, that's fishing in general. And you talk, you know, kids always talk to you about what do I need to do to become a better fisherman? Well, time on the water is it. It's mm-hmm. the only way you can get it. You know, you can fish with people to help you, but until you get a time on the water, you know, that's the only way you can get experience. And that's the only way your, your instincts are going to kick in, the only way you can – become a better fisherman and it's just like uh I, the the lake fork deal uh, the, i had a decent bag the first day maybe mid-pack whatever and then the second day i catch like a seven pounder and i catch like four little keepers go with it and i remember going in this pocket and there's a four pounder but the water's muddy and there's a four pounder rolling on this uh, i seen it chase bluegill twice but it was so muddy, I couldn't, I could you know, so you got to, I got it for me in sight fishing, I've got to see what's going on. I've got to see how that fish is reacting. And I remember making a pitch in there and finally got, I seen the fish roll on it. And I'm sitting there shaking, didn't bite it. And like five minutes went by and I pitched it in there right again. I seen it roll up on it again. And I ended up leaving that fish. And if I'd have stayed there and just spent the rest of the time, caught that fish, I'd have got to check. Mm. Because I had a seven pounder. If I get a four with it and just the little keepers I had, I'd got you know I would I would have I would have made the cut in other words. Right. And I left that fish too early, and that that's what caused me because I end up weighing in like a pounder, you know, a little mm-hmm. tiny one. So, uh, just decisions like that, you know. And I'm learning how to just learning how to make it through days where I used to struggle. It's just like now I can I can survive a day instead of totally bombing out, and that's what you got to keep from and. On the elite series, you can't you can't have a bomb day, or you're you're pretty much season's done. You know you can still battle back, but it's just hard road to come up. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Texas, what what about the fan favorite? I mean, what what state do you think besides Texas packs them out the most for y'all? Man, it's uh, is it New York? Is it Alabama? New, Oklahoma? New, I mean, dude, it's just it's such it's so regional. I don't know if it's a state. Mm-hmm. And you know we. Uh, you didn't know what what was going to happen after some of the anglers split last year and went their different ways, and you know whoever stayed at Bass and whatever else. And I, I you know, I, I'm I'm looking at it and I'm kind of worried about it. And and we're going into Palatka last year and the first event of the season, you don't know who's going to turn out. And man, we weigh in that first day, and I look and uh, and this is the first day of the weigh in, 
and I look, and there's people in that audience out there in that crowd, and they're standing in, in bleachers that are like 100 yards away to watch. And right then I knew we were going to be fine. And it's just like Palatka, they show out. You know, Sabine River, they show out. Uh, always at St. Lawrence, they show out. It's so re- it's such regional areas that they that they that they show out for. And I tell you, East Tennessee's due for another one. I mean, those people are hungry some, for some events. And if you look at that Cherokee tournament, they you know the people that packed into Knoxville ran. There was a lot of people there. If you look at the classic, how many showed up for the classic last year? That was phenomenal. And I'm looking forward to them having another event close to home again. But it's. It's just those little niches, you know, those people's, uh, those people that like fishing in mm-hmm. certain areas. That's, I can't tell you one state. It's just, you know, different places. So all over. All you over. You guys had some good crowds this year for sure. We've Knoxville had, was packed out. We, yeah, yeah no doubt. We've had great crowds. So I think Birmingham will pack out pretty good too. Yes. That's Very always cent- a good venue. And that's people, you know, like Knoxville's such a great central located because you can drive one day and be in so many states. It's a, it's a great place to have, and I hope they have another one there. I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think the coolest thing about the Knoxville Classic was if you're at the Hooper Evelyn Center on the backside, on the riverside, on the ramps, you could watch everybody running in, mm-hmm. you know, and that that was really cool because that's something you don't get to see a lot of the yeah. classic way in. Mm-hmm. It's a very unique place. And didn't have to drive far to go see it either. That's right. Right. right there in downtown, that was cool. That's yeah, right. it was what, like a mile. I mean, it wasn't yeah, if, if that. Mm-hmm. Heck, I guess students walk it all the time. So. <laughs> Dude. I dated a girl that went to uh, Tennessee, and it's amazing how much those kids walk from one side to the other over yeah. there. Yeah. And it's hilly, too. Oh, yeah. it is. Spread out. And I don't know. It used to be if you're a freshman, you couldn't have a car. I think they've changed that now. They did, but your parking lot ain't close. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like a dang truck. <laughs> yeah. Good night. Well, man, um, looking forward to next year. Any new changes for you besides uh, coming on board with Phoenix? Uh, no, still got the same. You know, Doomsday is still my biggest sponsor, and uh, – um, hopefully we continue that. They seem to be doing well, and and uh, the rod sales are really good. So hopefully we can continue that. But no, we're nothing nothing new. Just still, still, uh, still searching, still grinding away, and still making a living. Mm. Now Drew was telling us a little bit. Y'all got a little YouTube series y'all are trying to do this year. Drew, Drew and Drew are doing that. YouTube okay, series. I'm letting them test. <laughs> Let the them young bucks that. do it exactly. Before I before. y'all book that house, I'll be there. Yeah, exactly. Get right. your filming done. I'm gonna see how it goes for them before <laughs> I put my money in on that deal. But uh, yeah, they got a new YouTube series that that is supposedly coming out. Uh, looking forward to seeing that. Hope it goes well for them and. Uh, We'll see how it goes. If it goes viral, you may have problems getting into the houses you rent. You that's may have a bunch of fans lined up. That's true. More shirts to sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, shoot, man. Uh, well, we appreciate you coming down. Uh, we know you got to get back. You got to beat that Chattanooga traffic. Looking at the time now. Yes. Oh, Always bad going through Chattanooga. It's the worst. It it's doesn't matter terrible. what time of day or what day it is. I've got to take this thing straight to Watson's Ring. They're going to put on my new Garmin Troll motor and throw some power poles on there and some graphs, and we'll be good to go. What graphs are you running? Running Garmin's. Garments doing the uh, ultras or are you doing the ultra 12s this will be the first year running ultra 12s so a lot of new stuff first time running the garmin troll motor first time running ultra 12s and first time in the phoenix so we've got a lot of new stuff and a lot, a lot of exciting stuff for this year excellent excellent well we appreciate you taking time out hopefully you get you're gonna duck hunt one more time uh be more than once yes there you uh, go we, we've got to unleash, unleash fury on them for this last <laughs> week because just get mad yeah at I've, I've held off long enough on on the uh, management of the place so it's time to kill some there you go better right. run the hot seat real quick oh yeah yeah Sorry. better run it you so started we, we, there, run, but... we run a little thing do the hot seat just a little quick uh quick questions we'll go back and forth just kind of one one or two word answers something short and simple okay so, 
Uh, let's see. Uh, before you answer, is it? Can we go back and edit? <laughs> is this something that's going to be live or? Can, oh, we're live right now. Oh Everybody, man, I'm just kidding. I'm, no. I got to watch what I say then. <laughs> no, okay, no, let's we, go. No, we, we can edit. We can edit. Let's man. go. All right. Uh, what's your duck hunting shotgun? A five Browning A five. Uh, black or mossy oak or uh, real tree on your camo? I think that's mossy oak. Mossy oak. All right. Out of a blind or next to a tree in the timber? Well, if it's according to where I'm hunting at, if I'm hunting at Rusty's in Arkansas, obviously it's going to be about a tree, but where we have, I'm hunting more of like a field pond, so it's a blind. When you're hunting in the timber, you a water kicker or you let everybody else do it? You got a water kick, man. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You control the duck call? Uh, at home, I do it. At, in Arkansas, at Rusty. Single or double reed call? I blow a single lot, but I've just got an echo timber. No, it's a single reed. Yeah, I thought it blows a single reed. Acrylic or wood? Acrylic. Pretty good. We're not pretty good. All right. Does the color of your weight matter when you're fishing? The color of your weight? Yep. Black, green pumpkin. Mm, no, not to me. It does matter. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> From the colorblind guy. <laughs> From <Yeah>. the color. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm usually a black weight or a green weight, I guess. I don't really pay attention. And, you know, and then if it's like, if it's under a quarter, I use lead, unpainted lead. Really? Yep. <laughs> Just keep it from breaking because a lot of times that, you know, the tungsten might chip it up, so I'll use lead. Summertime, you barefoot or you wearing shoes? Shoes. Favorite sport outside of fishing? Mm, college football, I guess. Who's your team? Tennessee. You knew that was coming, son. I was giving him a chance. Here. Look, he, he doesn't live down here by it's, – it's ridiculous down here. We're too close to Alabama. We got all these daggum Alabama fans uh -huh. down here. Right. It's sick. I'm not one of them. So I didn't tell you. Tennessee fans turn on me now. I'm telling. We you. only play y'all once every four years. Yeah, you're where the tide comes into the beach right here, aren't you? It's like a blend. It's terrible. Yeah, the tide doesn't stop. If there's a Walmart, there's a tide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they're winning, there is anyway. That's right. The tide, the tide will turn. I right. bet you t-shirt sales are down this year yeah. for Walmart first right. quarter. Is UT on the way back up? What? Well, yeah, I think it is. I it, think so too. Uh, you know, it, it, there ain't really no place else for it to go. So I think we're on the way back up. How many props you go through a year? One. You just run it? I, Chipped I, up, beat I, up? I never do chip them, really. Really? Yep. I'm usually pretty good on my boat. There's been a couple of times where I've ran across some stuff I probably hadn't do, but I can't tell you really, other than one year that I've ever not finished the year with the prop I started with. You listen to music while you graph? Yes. Yes, Pandora. Whose boat's going to be faster, yours or Benton's? It's going to be mine. <laughs> What's your Pandora station? He weighs more than I do, so it has to be mine. <laughs> <laughs> Your Pandora station. It's a mixture of outlaw country and something else. I don't know. It's a blend. How many rods you carry in the boat? Not as many as a lot of guys. I probably only have maybe ten or twelve in the boat. You know, something more like that. That's less than we've heard in a while. You're going to Douglas tomorrow. What's the one bait you got to have? Oh gosh, tomorrow probably a trap, trap or a DT6. Can you hand paint baits, or you have someone else do them? I have hand painted before. They don't turn out very pretty, and but they do work. I have I have hand painted them. I, I let other people do that. And to be honest with you, anymore I I don't hand paint nothing. Like a lot of the Strike King plugs I use, they they come out of the package with good paint on them, so I don't have to. And they're not a sponsor, but I use a lot of their stuff. And tinkering you do when you open a plug? Do you change hooks? Change split rings? I uh, just upgrade hooks. Uh, sometimes there's been some other brands of, of plugs that you have to upgrade to split rings too but most of the time just new hooks and make sure it's running straight if it's good enough for the last cast is it good enough for the first cast uh, again that's just eh, I, i'm not a scroggins deal on that he's big <laughs> on that one i, I don't know 
I, I, it's just according to what it is, right, of how much confidence I've got in it. So if it's light, I'll change it. If it's heavy, I'll, I'll roll with it a lot of times. Well, there you go. You staying at Gunnersville or Birmingham for the Classic? Stay at Gunnersville. Make that drive every day? Might as well. You get on the driving? Maybe the Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bud. <laughs> I know we had a good day out here. You mind driving me back and forth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll take you back to your truck. We just got to make a pit stop yep. in Birmingham. The next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. Well, shoot, I'm out. I'm tapped. Yeah, I'm good with it. What about you? I'm good. Let's go home. Let's do it. Let's do it. We appreciate you coming in, man. Thank you all. With us. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you.